bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad man. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. I'm a black man in a white world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. With religious extremism growing more and more in this country, I thought I'd take a look at religious cults and find out how one gets caught up in one. And we can discuss that here next on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in an explosion, but if you are, don't sign anything until you talk to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. back here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. We're today talking to a broadcaster, an author, but somebody with a interesting story of escaping a uh, religious cult. And I thought with all the uh, things, different things you see about religion, you'll, this might be an interesting story. And today I'd like to welcome Peter Young. How you doing, Peter? JB, I'm fine. Thanks for having me on your show. Not a problem. Uh, so, you were in, you were caught up in a religious cult. How did you get in involved with a religious cult in the first place? Yeah, million dollar question. Right. Um, <clears throat> I married into it essentially. That's kind of taking the 20 year story and distilling it into a sentence. But 
I um, I got married to this you know beautiful woman that I loved very much. Uh, this was back in 1997, and I knew before we got married that she had what this one person had called a weird family guru, and that person's uncle Robert, who is not related at all. But I knew of, I knew of him, right. uh, and then uh, yeah, I did meet him once before we got engaged, and I I, I got to meet this guy first, and I thought eh, you know weird, odd, charismatic, but okay. And then, you know, we got married and, you know, eventually, like the frog in the pot of boiling water, you know, it certainly didn't happen right away, JB, but, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, he, he just kind of took over our lives. Wow. And, and can you, are you able to talk about in what ways? Or you feel comfortable oh, sure. enough to talk about in what ways? Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I just wrote a whole book about it. Right. Uh, it's uh, stop the tall man save the tiger it's my memoir so um you know i tell people a couple you know phrases that you know number one you don't know you're in a cult you only know you were in one and so i can look back now and i can see in what ways that you know yeah this this really was a cult and cults you know jb can look and sound very different right they come in all shapes and sizes and we didn't you know, live in a commune. It's not like people were having sex with each other or we didn't shave our heads or commit suicide. But I, I say we did figuratively drink the Kool-Aid because it was all, all you know, mental and emotional and spiritual abuse. And some people call cults, you know, like if you have a hard time with that word, okay, fine. Uh, think of it as undue mind control. So, you know, Uncle Robert, again, he was the leader, the little cult guru at his worst you know, was a gatekeeper to God. So, you know, we were all Christians, but you weren't really truly saved uh, until he said you were. So, you know, he had everybody, you know, doubt their faith, including me. Uh, and then, you know, years down the road, you, know, you get to the point where you think, okay, maybe I'm not a Christian. It must not be. So you, for me, I know I just kind of eventually caved and allowed him to quote unquote save me, which again, I look back and think it was just not the case. But, um, you know, there's also far more to it than that. He called casinos the true churches in America. Okay. And, and um, you know, he would also call casinos his office because he never had a full-time job, never had a job, period. So he thinks, you know, he could he would call his office and he could go there and, and you know, he would, uh, on his trips to, you know, save the world and save America, he'd go to D.C. and back and he'd, he'd stop at casinos and try and earn money to pay his way. And the idea being that, you know, if you, um, regardless of your your income or your success or your your age, gender, whatever, you can go to a casino and the Lord will bless you. To which I'd say, well, okay, but you know, I see people worshiping money in the casino, not God. Right. And um, and then he was also, you know, a raving anti-Semite. Um, you know, he was born and raised in Syria, and okay. so again, doesn't look anything like us. Right. Paige, you know, Paige was my former wife. And, uh, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, just like tall, like the rest of her family, my family. I'm, you know, one of five boys and, you know, we're all tall, Northern European looks. And he was, you know, short and olive complexion, jet black hair, bald head, bulbous nose, kind of got a belly. <laughs> and um, he brought with him to America, you know, his prejudices. And so for him, all of recorded history, all of the wars, recessions, uh, 9-11, you name it, it, was all a Jewish conspiracy to take over the world. So, uh, and that was kind of a key part of his theology. And um, among other things, he had a lot of, a lot of crazy ideas, but too, I always tell people, you know, 
no one ever joins a cult. Like I didn't join a cult. No one, right. no one ever thinks they're joining a cult. And when you're in it, you know, oh no, no, it's not a cult. It's only when you come out of it and you know have the eyes and ears to see that you can recognize it. But you know, there's a lot that he would have shared that made a lot of sense. That was interesting, and I was told to this day, so yeah, that was a good point. Um, you know, the Bible, the way the Bible would say, JB is. The wolf doesn't get close to the sheepfold. The wolf in sheep's clothing does. So there was a lot that Uncle Robert would say that was, you know, at first, that's interesting. That's a good point. I would agree with that. But then he would take his own little perverse and unique spin on everything he said, Mm -hmm. and you know, Bible, and, you know, spin it and twist it. The analogy I give is, let's say, you know, uh, if you mishit a golf ball, like a quarter inch, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, 100 yards down the fairway, the ball is way off to the left or way off to the right, nowhere near the pin. Well, Uncle Robert was teeing up the correct golf ball, you know, so to speak. He would read from the Bible, right? right. But then he would, you know, twist it to where 5, 10, 15 years down the road. It's nowhere near the truth. Right. And then, you know, what generally speaking happened to me. Yeah, I was, I, you kind of an, uh, answered my next question, which was, <laughs> what was it in, what was it? Uh, why was he doing this? What, what was he to gain from it? What, so you you basically answered that for me. So he was yeah. sounds like an interesting cat. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and another thing too, because people have asked that, JB. You know, you you ask the question. A lot of people ask, well, why did he do this? What was it for him? It certainly wasn't money. However, you know, in the Christian faith, there's the the idea of tithing, right? So you ten percent of what you earn. Uh, you give back to the Lord as, as obedience and way of saying thanks. And uh, over the years, we would tithe to this church or that church or this organization, whatever, a Christian organization. But eventually, it all went to him, every last penny of our tithe. And um, and so, you know, a friend of mine was like, wait a minute, you know, you guys all tithe. So you being me and my wife and then her parents mm-hmm. and like the family members, we were all sending our money to him. She says, so you're all sending him money every month. And then he would often go to the casino. And I said, oh, you know, when you say it like that, yeah, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the, uh, I was raised Catholic, but my father's father was a Baptist minister. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in the inner city of St. Louis. And mm-hmm. I myself struggled with uh, people, you know, poor people, which we were, and a lot of people in the inner city of St. Louis were at the time giving what limited funds they had to the church to be closer to God, which I still struggle with that point. So, because it seemed like God would want you to, um, from your hard work, take your money and take care of your family and make sure that bread is on the table. But that's probably a deeper conversation (laughs) than we're probably here for. Um, What... um, what steps or how did you um, free yourself or how did you get free from? Sure, from the cult. You know, oftentimes you'll hear stories about people, you know, escaping a cult, right? And in my case, it was almost kind of backwards, as in essence, kicked out. So Paige and I were married for, you know, 20 years. And over the years, it was pretty obvious to me that, um, you know, she really adored and revered and respected Uncle Robert more than me. And so in January 2017, so we had five kids, 
she finally gets just, you know, the, the cognitive dissonance in her own mind of loving Uncle Robert, but, you know, here was this guy, you know, being me, you know, he's a fraud, he's not really saved, et cetera, et cetera. So she finally left me and took the three youngest kids with, who lived with her parents in Northern Idaho. Uh, our two oldest boys were, you know, in high school and college, so they stayed with me for a little while. But uh, it got really bad really quickly after about a month or so that she started to vilify me as the devil, Satan, sorcerer, liar, abuser, murderer, you name it. And uh, so I was, you know, essentially kind of kicked out. And our cult was tiny, you know, was, you know, at best maybe 12 adults and our kids, not many people. Everybody else was shunned and vilified. It wasn't like we were out trying to bring people in. It was more like, you know, cults will often maintain control through secrecy and paranoia. And that's exactly what we did. So, uh, you know, nobody knew. You know, my wife left me and I didn't tell my family, you know, the extended family, the youngs, my brothers, parents and their wives and all the aunts and uncles. I didn't tell anybody for four months. So I was a wreck. Couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I lost 30 pounds. It was a horrible time. So then I finally told my family because at that point, my access to the kids was starting to get cut off. You know, she, again, thought I was a sperm donor and a bloodline. And all this was being really... Uh, orchestrated by Uncle Robert behind the scenes. Um, so then they helped me out. And thanks to, you know, my faith, my family, my friends, I find it, it took me about a year to really mentally and emotionally recover. And I had been brainwashed for probably about two and a half, three years. But so, you know, it took about a year to recover. And I never wanted a divorce. I didn't want her to leave. I was devastated. But, you know, she did file for divorce. And, and by about a year, I finally really started to see JB, just how bad it was. Right. How how awful uh, Uncle Robert was, how what he was saying was just not only not biblical, but just evil. Um, and so that's how I, you know, kind of escaped. You know, the Lord opened my eyes and ears to see what had really been going on. Uh, again, this might be a question you, you don't feel comfortable asking or maybe you can't answer. Is your ex-wife still involved with Uncle Robert and his uh it, it was certainly a fair question. I guess the answer is I don't really know. I suspect she is. I have no contact with him. So, you know, when she filed for divorce, I had really good lawyers. My family helped me out. Again, I didn't want attorneys. I was probably in denial. But we anyway, we got attorneys. She filed, and, and I didn't want the divorce. So when they saw how bad it was with the kids, what they were being told, we got what's called a guardian ad litem. Yes. And, okay, yeah, so, that, so you know what that is. That's where, mm -hmm. you know— Court appoints somebody, either counselor or a lawyer, to look after the best interests of the kids. She did a you know three month investigation, wrote a jaw dropping fifty page report. Clearly saw that this was a little mini cult, which is abusive to kids. You know, centered around Uncle Robert, and then Paige had engaged in the worst case of parental alienation she had ever seen, which is where one parent tries to you know disparage the other parent of the kids so that they'll hate that parent. Right. Uh, so then the court sent the kids back to me. So the three youngest children have been living with me full-time for five years. The court also said the kids are not to have any contact with Robert Booty, which is, you know, Uncle Robert's real name. So uh, I made sure that, you know, didn't happen, <laughs> that they didn't have no contact with him. Unfortunately, well, let me say this. Fortunately, I have recovered, you know, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I do believe also my three youngest kids have as well. That's it's been great. a tough spot. Yeah, but they have. But, you know, just from, from the legal, you know, battle, unfortunately, is still going on. And, and the things that she, Paige, calls me, does lead me to believe that there's really been no change. Uh, you know, she calls me a documented abuser and a murderer, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, your, your listeners should know that 
you know, in our 20 years, there was zero infidelity. I never wanted an affair. I love my wife. There was near zero abuse of any kind. I think I raised my voice to her twice. Right. It was oh, Uncle Robert. And so, I, unfortunately, I do think that she is still under his sway, his domination and mind control, which is sad. Uh, how are your kids? Are they, are they so doing much better? You know, obviously yeah. they've been a lot. I mean, again, the, the stories you can read about in my book, but there's a lot of, and there's a lot I left out, but there's right. a lot of stories are just, oof, boy, it kind of takes your breath away. The poison of hatred and condemnation and judgment that Uncle Robert, it was a direct line from him to their mom to my kids. So they've recovered. They've grown a lot. They're certainly stronger. Um, their faith now is, is certainly genuine. They have not turned their back on their faith. The two older boys, it's probably more of a work in progress. They uh, still probably believe their mom, probably doubt me, don't want much to do with me. But, you know, they've graduated college. They're on their own. I pray for them. I hope that things do turn around. Again, it's hard to blame them after what they went through. Um, but, you know, kids are resilient. And I don't badmouth their mom. I mean, I, I say, yeah, listen, I don't. That's, that's I, the, I don't yeah, yeah, that's the key. Part of it. Yeah, that, I was going to say that's the key. Uh, being a divorced father myself and, and raising my, uh, being a single parent, raising my son. He's now and has graduated from college and lives on his own and has a great career. But, um, I never once bad-mouthed his mother um, or anything, and I, that's the key. I mean, yeah, you, you, because you got to yeah. have – your kids have got to feel like they can have a healthy relationship with both parents, in my eyes. I would agree. You know, Paige will always be their mom. Um, I have tried to make it very clear that, you know, I, um, what, what Uncle Robert has done, it was awful to all of us, including their mother. And um, she is a victim just like we are. But no matter what, you know, yeah, you know, I'll always be their dad and she'll always be their mom. Unfortunately, it was so bad that what happened was that when, uh, you know, when she left, you know, the plans was that Uncle Robert would, in essence, be the, the dad for everybody. So, uh, JB, like if you were to go look up cults, just Google it, right, or you know, one of your mm -hmm. listeners. And, you know, Google small cult, small family cult, cult leader, whatever. You know, you'll get like a million hits. And, you know, the 10 signs or the five signs or whatever, all these articles. And, you know, there's almost always a cult leader. And that person is very narcissistic, uh, has a grandiose sense of self, makes all the rules, but none apply to them. Uh, often tries to act as a gatekeeper to God and will often try, here's the key, to destroy the nuclear family. Now, let's say, like in our case, you know, there was Paige's parents, so the grandparents, then Paige and I, and then my kids. That's three generations. What happens is they all kind of blend into just children of the cult leader so that everybody kind of calls the cult leader dad. And that was exactly what was happening in our family to where, you know, I was told by Paige and Uncle Robert, oh, you need to stay away from the kids as physically as possible. And you need to earn the right to be their father, which you're nowhere near. Just be a friend. Just be a friend to them. You're a, you're a bloodline and a sperm donor. That's all you are. Which, of course, then the idea was to get me out of the picture because I'm the devil and let Uncle Robert be the dad of everybody, which is just evil. So how were you able to, uh, and I don't know if I would have the strength to continue on as a Christian after that, but how were you able to use the Christian faith, your Christian faith, to uh, bring your, you know, to help uh, heal yourself? 
Well, without my faith, you know, I, I, I would not be here. I don't know where I would be. I don't think I was ever really, truly suicidal back then when she left. I was in bad shape, but not suicidal. But, you know, again, when, when Uncle Robert, you know, kind of convinced me that, oh, I was not saved, I was missing something, I now know that that's just not true. It was fraudulent of him and wicked. Uh, and But, you know, when you're in a cult, I think one of the ubiquitous features is you constantly doubt everything you say and think. You doubt everything, so you got to verify it, run it by the cult leader, and he or she will tell you whether or not you're, you're right. And usually they will tell you you're wrong because they use guilt to control you as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not that I ever turned my back on my faith. I just got confused and misled. So clearly the Lord was the one that helped open my eyes and ears to see this. And I, I just don't – I, you know, growing up in a Christian household, I've just never lived a life where you would not have – an identity in something greater than yourself. For me, it's Jesus Christ. I don't know how you could live without that. So to answer that question is kind of hard because um, I've, I couldn't imagine being so alone and not having my faith. And some people say, wow, it's great that you didn't reject your faith. To which I say, well, thank you, but it never came up. Like it was never a thought. Like it was never a choice. Hmm, should I reject Christianity? I, to me, that'd be like, hmm, should I cut off my arms? I just, it would have never occurred to me. Uh, you used uh, a phrase about uh, guilt. Um, they would use guilt. Being a, being a, like I said, I grew up Catholic. There was somewhat of a level of that in Catholicism. Um, is it how much, you know, how much, I mean, it must be massively different for, you know, in a uh, cult. The, the, the level of guilt, whereas, you know, like I said, there is a, a hint of it in, in normal religions. Sure. Yeah, good question. And I would say to me, you know, the true Christian message does not contain guilt. Uh, I can see how it could be twisted and misused so people think it is, but it's truly about love and forgiveness. But it can be misused, and there's a lot of it, even in mainstream uh, Christianity. But certainly in our little cult, and I think in other cults, it's used as a tool, as a weapon, guilt and shame, uh, to control people. And Uncle Robert was, you know, unfortunately brilliant at it. Again, very uh, intelligent, but a narcissist um, with a strong uh, background uh, and knowledge in psychology. So, you know, he would be able to, you know, kind of interpret the Bible and use it in such ways, mostly to demean and break down the men in our cult. Um, and then he would often tell the story, JB. So he grew up in Syria. And as a little boy, he had a slingshot. And his dad had told him how to properly use the slingshot. And one day, he didn't listen properly, and he just let it fly without knowing where it was going. And a little lamb, you know, from their flock, you know, kind of is walking, and his head appears above a rise. And boom, the rock hits the poor little lamb and kills it instantly. And Uncle Robert would tell this story of disobeying his father and say that that was the only time he had sinned in his entire life. And so, you know, my, my wife and my in-laws at the time, of course, believed it. And it's like, again, it's utter nonsense, but the idea is, here's Jesus, who's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Who's God, and here's Uncle Robert, who's really close, right? He's in what? And then here we are, you know, in every one of our conferences. We, we, we'd get together when there was a conference. You know, he would spend half the time pointing out everything that we did wrong. But this is a man who uh, <laughs> frequent... Uh, uh, casinos. Yes, his which, office. Yeah, <laughs> which he, yeah, he, he called your his office. 
yeah. which is full of well, sin, you know, gambling yep. and uh, some level of, you know, drinking and, and maybe even prostitution. But, um, but he only committed one sin. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was horrible. Yeah. Right. And with saying that, <laughs> he created another sin because he's lying his butt off. So, <laughs> right, exactly. There you go. Good, good point. But and the other thing too, I alluded to it earlier that you know the the cult leader makes all the rules, and none of them apply to him. In our case, I'll, I'll go drill down even further. Whatever would have been inappropriate for me or UJB or you know your buddies or my buddies, whomever, uh, it was never inappropriate for Uncle Robert. So if somebody were to come in and say something. And you'd be like, hey, come on, dude, what you, you can't say in front of my kids or in front of my wife or whatever. It was never inappropriate for him. So let me tell you another crazy story. In 2016, uh, you know, the dominatory in America was the uh, election Trump versus Clinton, right? And he was, a, he was a huge Trump fan and just despised Clinton. And um, we would, again, we'd have these conferences. And that's where he would drive up because he lived in California. He would drive up. We would meet at Paige's parents' house in northern Idaho, and we'd basically just sit around listening to this guy talk for days on end. And so during that summer, he started talking about – and mind you, as I get into the story, I've got like three kids at the age of 10 or under that are sitting in the living room listening to this. Yes. He talked about the hyena pack, uh, the, I think it's the spotted hyena in Africa, and how the leader of the hyena pack is a dominant female. And so after the dominant female has a couple offspring children – it has like a fleshy appendage that hangs down from its crotch that looks like a penis. So here's the, the female hyena walks around with something that looks like a bigger penis than the guys have. And the males will lick her groin as a sign of submission. So then he compared Hillary Clinton to the female hyena, supposed <laughs> fake penis walking around you know, on the world stage. And she's going to be president and all these male leaders of other countries are going to figuratively lick her groin. And he said this in front of our kids. And never once, I'm sure, did Paige think, oh, my gosh, we should leave the room because it was Uncle Robert. It was okay. Yeah, he um, he uh, definitely uh, lacked decorum, if, if anything. Oh um, so what are the hallmark signs of somebody being a religious cult? And I know you said that somebody may not know that they're in a cult but maybe other people around can notice what the signs are. Which is really key to bring up, and I'm glad you asked it, because you're right, the person in it probably has no idea which why you need to help them. And I would say, you know, the, the most obvious warning sign would be if someone you know, whether it's family or friends, someone in the Bible study you have coffee with, the guy in the bowling league, who knows, right? And all of a sudden they kind of cut off all of their long-term friendships and relationships, you know, whether you used to call the guy or email the guy or, again, or you'd see him once a week at church or at the bowling league, whatever it is, and they all suddenly stopped, and they've kind of uh, withdrawn. And and before that happened, they might have told you about, the, I met somebody, I met this, I went to a conference, I went to this church, whatever it is. That, to me, is the most obvious and first warning sign because it, what's happening is this person has found out about a someone or a cult and, of course, been encouraged, if not demanded, to we need to protect our leader, and thus you can't share this with anybody. And, by the way, you should probably, you know, break off all of those old toxic relationships and just trust us. And so then you will see it where that person withdraws. That's a huge red flag. So then you, you've got to be able to ask the tough questions. And it's hard, right? Like 
I look back and think, well, could my family, which they lived all over the country, didn't live near us. You know, we lived in Idaho and Montana. They lived in California, you know, North Carolina, New Jersey. Um, but you've got to be able to ask those tough questions and say, you know, what's going on? Oh, can I go to your church, right? Because oftentimes they don't want you to know about it. They'll be secret. Well, if it's a good thing, why is it secret, right? A uh, good thing is should never be secret unless it's a surprise party or something <laughs> that people are going to find out about that's a good thing. But, you know, if it's kept secret, uh, there's probably issues. Correct. So... That's the most obvious sign. Okay. Are there any others? Well, so like in our case, uh, we didn't completely withdraw. Like I did not shun all of my family, the young family, but now Paige's family did. She's one of five children and she's got aunts and uncles and cousins and, and siblings. And all of them got shunned and vilified and ostracized because of Uncle Robert like 20 years ago. And she only had a relationship with her um parents and one older brother that thankfully didn't happen in my family but what did was that we would talk you know not a lot but we would always you know mention let's say uncle robert well uncle robert taught us this uncle robert taught us that and so you know if somebody brings up somebody like that like almost too good to be true maybe maybe not it's true right but ask the questions you know be be that friend that's just that's not going to say oh i wish i said something five years ago be the friend that asks the tough questions. That's a, that's a good point. Let me ask you this. Um, in your book, Stop the, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, written by mm -hmm. Peter Young, our guest today. Uh, Peter, what, what are the main lessons that somebody will learn from uh, reading your book? Okay, so well, first of all, I, I do believe that a strong marriage should have Christ in the center of it. And, you know, listen, parents and children and counselors and a pastor or whomever, fine, they can all help but from the outside. But nobody should really get in between the husband and the wife. And that's, of course, what happened to us. It was the guru, Uncle Robert, and our marriage was doomed. Number two, you should always maintain good, strong fellowship, friends and family. Now, for me, that means Christian fellowship, but even for others, you know, don't isolate yourself because as soon as you isolate yourself, then you become susceptible to any kind of guru, cult leader, false prophet, no matter what it is. You don't have anybody else in your life saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, let's think about this. And then the third thing, again, from the Christian perspective is uh, at, at its foundation, Christianity is a free gift, right? Like you can't earn it. It's a gift uh, from God. So salvation comes first and then sanctification which means that when you grow in your faith, you become more mature, et cetera, et cetera. You can't switch the order. And anybody that says you can switch the order, try to act as a gatekeeper to God. Those are really the most uh, strong messages uh, that are in the book. Um, you know, but there are others too. And, and, and one of them was, JB, let me add this. You know, I didn't tell anybody at work, I sell real estate in addition to writing books. I didn't tell anybody for about nine months what had happened you know, to my family, to my marriage. Mm -hmm. And I found at a staff meeting, I, I asked him, the owner, can I tell everybody? And he already knew. He said yes. So about 20 people were there, and, and I told him what happened. And I thought for sure they all knew. I mean, I would go to the office, you know, red puffy eyes, bawling my eyes out in the car. I'd lost 30 pounds. I'd go walk the edge off the anxiety in town. And nobody knew. Nobody had any idea what was going on. So the point is, the guy that cuts you off on the highway or the rude grocery clerk, etc. you don't know 
what they're suffering through silently. So be kind because we are all going through something. Yeah, that is 100% true. We are all, um, well, we're human. Yeah. And humans uh, suffer pain. They, they, they suffer happiness. They, they suffer loss. And that loss can be weighing on a person to the point that it, it will, um, it will bring them down, if, even if it's for an hour or so. Um, I have to laugh as I th- think about saying that. Uh, there is a uh, sports team that I know of, and the athletes within the sports team have to say that they are elite when somebody asks them how they are doing. And I often wondered, what happens if that young person maybe just lost three family members and somebody asked them how they're doing, you know, right. and they say, I'm, <laughs> I'm elite. It's like, you know, you, you're kind of stripping away their, their humanity at that point. So, you know, I think you should always allow people to, you know, just be human and be who they are within bounds of them being respectful. You know, and JB, I mean, how many times during a day do you and I say, you know, somebody says, how you doing? You say, fine. Like, you literally don't think about it. Fine. And so, you know, for six, mm-hmm. seven people probably saw Peter doesn't look right. And they'd say, how you doing? And I would just reflexively say, fine. Rather than, you know, this is where, again, the fellowship comes in. Having five, six, a dozen people in your life you know, I'm not fine. Can we talk tomorrow? Right. And then, you know, really, okay. Cause for me in my recovery, I really leaned on people and their help. I mean, I was, I was hurting. I was really hurting. And I had two of my brothers. I would call them almost every day cause I needed it. I needed to talk to somebody and they're like, call me anytime. And I did. And I needed it. You know, people will be shocked in, in the deep bowels of depression how many people would actually stop their day and listen to them if they actually yep. just reached yep. out? Absolutely. Um, Great don't, point. Don't give in to the, the sadness. Don't give in to the, uh, the bad thoughts. Just reach out to somebody, and you'll, be, is, and you'll be surprised that they'll answer. You know, and it's interesting because I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing you have a sports background. I have a sports background. I've played yes, coach I do. college. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> It's like, wait a minute, what's up with us guys? Like, you know, we, we grow up with a team all around us, right? Like we grow up with the concept of team and teammates. And we spend many years of our formative years in that environment where we rely on each other. And yet when we become adults and we have these problems, we don't ever reach out. We try and solve it all on our own. It's, oh, it's such a, an odd conundrum to me, whereas – we should know better, right? Like we should, like we used to reach out to a teammate and in our later years, for some reason we don't. And so I just wish us guys would do a better job with that. Yeah. I had a uh, 40 year connection with a uh, division one school in, in town here. So um, there was always, you know, I'm still have fellowship with people I, I once worked with Um you know, in the as we used to call it, in the trenches, right, you know, right. getting teams ready and and keeping them keeping them healthy and prepared to uh, to perform. And we, you know, we call it the 
Loken, uh, laughingly, we called it the uh, trenches, the glamorous part that people never got to see. So, uh, speaking of sports, I noticed that you were a sports uh, broadcaster. Yep. And um, and you're a basketball fan. I take it that your broadcasting had something to do with basketball. Yeah, you know, JB, it's funny. I, I tell people the Reader's Digest version of my life is. Uh, born and raised in New Jersey, loved basketball, played basketball in college, and I was going to be the next Larry Bird, but that did not happen. <laughs> so then I got into college coaching, and I was going to be the next John Wooden, and that didn't happen. So then I switched careers, and I got into sports broadcasting, and I was going to be the next Bob Costas, and that didn't happen either. But I did have a nice broadcasting career, loved it. I got to travel the world, called a lot of games. And, and now that I'm an author, you know, I've written two books. I love writing. I love storytelling. I'm, I've finally learned it. I'm not trying to be the next uh, John Grisham or Louis L'Amour or Ernest Hemingway. I am just trying to be the best version of Peter Young. Which is the best thing we all can do is be the best version of ourself. Uh, do you still follow basketball? I do. Not as much as I used to. I never called NBA games. I did a couple D-League uh, I think I think they've changed the name now, but you know the NBA's minor league. I did a year right. of those games, and then I did for ESPN three. I did a lot of college games over the years, but you know I used to be obsessed with it, JB, and I followed it every day. Now, yeah, you know I check ESPN.com for the scores. That's about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'm basically in the same way. There's um, after forty years of being in the heat of it. You know, there is like, you know, my favorite college softball team was eliminated from the uh, NCAAs yesterday. And I sat and thought today, well, sports are done for me for the year. So um, let me go do other things, (laughs) you know, uh, like this podcast or, you know, I run or or um, I also have a a different sideline business where I repair sports equipment. So. Um, but I understand what you're saying. You, you get so deep into it that you, you know, it's almost like another cult that you, you know, eventually you uh-huh. kind of pull yourself out of, um, well, my first ahead. book, yeah, my first book, uh, that I wrote is called the blue team. And it's, it's a novel it's very loosely based on my time. I played basketball at George Washington university. It wasn't that good. Um, but it's about faith in basketball. And the idea is that the athlete's greatest adversary, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever, is not the guy trying to block your shot or the teammate who won't pass you the ball or the coach who won't play you enough. Your greatest adversary is always your own mind. We are our own mm-hmm. worst enemy. And as a Christian, you know, I would have an identity greater than me. So that if I take the game-winning shot and miss it, you know what? Life's going to go on, Right. I will not identify myself as a basketball player. It's it's what I do. And there's a difference between what I do versus who I am. Who I am as a Christian, what I do, you know, in, in the book is that I'm a basketball player. And to me, then that that uh, makes it easier for the athlete to really relax and enjoy the game and play it to their fullest because it's not life or death. Because if it is life or death, well, then you got too much pressure on yourself. Uh, what is the... Uh What is the main uh, lesson from that book that uh, people can learn from it? Sure. I guess so. The the main lesson of the blue team would be that um, 
you know, no matter what sport you're playing, but let's take basketball, that your greatest obstacles to success, your greatest adversary, again, it's not the guy guarding you, trying to block your shot or steal the ball. It is your own mind. We really are our own worst enemy. And if you have your identity in something greater than yourself, which to me is my Christian faith, then you are free to play the game because you love it rather than because you need something from it, right? Like if it's your identity, you need the game to validate you. Well, that's, no game should be doing that. It's a game, right? So if you don't need the game to validate you, you can play it because you love it. And I think you'll play it better. Well, Peter, I can't thank you uh, enough for giving some time on a Sunday afternoon um, for uh, for me to be able to interview you. You have a compelling story, very uh, interesting story. Um, again, what are the titles of your books? Sure. So um, you can find both of my books on Amazon. Uh, the first one is the novel, and it's called The Blue Team. And then my recently released memoir about surviving the uh, little religious cult is called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And I also have a website. It's authorpeteryoung.com and my own YouTube channel. I've got over 80 videos that, again, is author Peter Young. I love to read, and so I do little two-minute book reviews, and uh, I've got about 80 of them. Well, you just saved me <laughs> Uh, my next question, which was, uh, how can people get in touch with you? You can yeah. repeat that if you wish, though. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. So my website is www.authorpeteryoung.com. And then my YouTube channel is at Author Peter Young. Uh, and I've got all kinds of uh, videos on there, you know, about books I've read and reviewed and the cult and lots of little stories about the cult. I mean, it's the, the stories are just crazy, and um, you know, people who read my book, a lot of times they're done in like one or two days because it's just hard to put down. It's it's hard to believe. Well, I can believe that. And again, I want to thank you for uh, giving your time on 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 a, on a Sunday, a day of rest. So, uh, again, this has been Peter Young, author, uh, cult survivor, broadcaster. And man of faith here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. I won't pretend that I intend to stop living. I won't pretend
another bow on another show. Again, I want to thank Peter Young for uh, telling his compelling story. Uh, very interesting. Uh, very noteworthy. If you notice somebody who might be, you think that might be in a cult, reach out to them, point it out to them, help them. What's on the mind of JB this week? Well, a couple of things. Just watch the uh, PGA golf tournament, and Brooks Kepka just won the tournament, and he's a live person. So um, I'm not happy with that. It's funny. I don't play golf, but um, I watch it every Sunday. It's very relaxing. Also, if you get to hear this broadcast, it meant that I have officially had another cycle around the world, and I just turned 61. So thank you for uh, hanging on and listening to me babble through another year of life. And um, I really appreciate your listenership and you following my journey, as I stated when I first started this podcast, it was I wanted to write a book about my life story and people I've met along the way. And uh, I'm a terrible writer because I have uh, dyslexia. So I just thought I'd do it orally and have a podcast. And some people are people who are truly in my life and some people I just read their story and thought they would be good to have on, like Peter today. So, again, I can be found on Podbean, podca uh, Apple Podcasts, and other outlets. Thank you for listening to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB. It's my name, and f***ing up, motherfuckers, is my game. I am Negro, Black, African American, Black, Black, Black. Django. J.B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know J.B. Our great Negro sex machine.